to episode 32 of All's Fair in Love and Film, a film review podcast where we review our DVD collection in alphabetical order and give our judgments on each one as we go. I'm Laura. And I'm Ryan. And this week we're talking about John Hughes' The Breakfast Club from the year 1985. Ryan, what is your history with this film? Ooh, um, I think the first time I saw this film was my senior year of high school. Um, so, like, what, sixth form for you? Yeah, yeah. I mean... I'd be that that for us that's between the ages of kind of 16 and 18 yeah yeah thereabouts yeah um i'm not gonna lie like i remember watching it and like uh, like i i could kind of like understand i thought that the um that the story being about teenagers was quite cool you know like that was quite interesting but i always kind of found it a bit like anticlimactic in a lot of ways but that, that that's like just that that was just how i kind of interpreted it at that point like I don't know. It was uh, like, yeah, it's, it's not really one of my favorite films, but yeah. Like how, how many times do you think you've seen it? About probably 15, 20 times. Cause it, it seems like this yeah. is always one that like, like you, you're, you're around a mate's house and it just tends to be something that either they'll put on in the background or, you know. Yeah. yeah. And I, I honestly think that like swings around to a point that's um, quite key in the success of this movie is that because it just draws on a lot of, kind of archetypes and backstories a lot of people can relate to this yeah. film which is why it was so successful um i probably saw this film when i was about 16 17 for the first time um which i know a lot of people see it kind of earlier on in their teens so it, i i don't know for me it just feels kind of late considering obviously it came out like before i was born but um i've seen it a lot of times because i really loved it and then when i saw this i like chased up as many other like John Hughes movies as I could and like watched 16 Candles and uh you know all the other ones um <laughs> god names are escaping me now but you know you know the list and um I, I I really connected with this film because it was about like you know some teens that were a little bit like alternative like I kind of was when I was a teenager and like unlikely kind of friendships and bonds being formed um and and i really really liked it and then you know went a few years kind of without seeing it and then watched it again kind of as a more worldly adult person i've, I've probably seen it about 15 times as well and um realized there's some troubling scenes and points um yeah i mean like th th i mean i will say a lot of john Hughes films kind of has this yeah uh, have have some, have some problems with it but before we, we we touch yeah, on that exactly. let's let's <laughs> let's have a little recap let's have a brief recap so the film as such it doesn't have like what i would call like a story it's more of one of those like slice of life kind of films where just kind of a series of events happen and it's more about the like relationships and emotions involved than the actual events themselves but uh the briefest summary i found on imdb says uh five high school students meet in saturday detention and discover how they have a lot in more in common than they thought yeah which i think is uh you know short but sweet but it does uh, encapsulate yeah, yeah. <laughs> it encapsulates what you need to know about the film um i want to talk about kind of the like stereotypes represented because i think this is one of those movies that is very much a american as a british person i'm like is this true do you have jocks and stoners and prom queens 
and nerds. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would say that, that like at least the high school I went to uh, prior to moving to a different high school, like was very much, very much socially stratified in the way that that you kind of see it. it it's kind of it seems to be almost culturally ingrained. <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I guess, like, I'm not pretending like, oh, we in England are above such things. Of course, there's, like, there's very much, like, different, like, people with different interests. We have, like, jocks, but we don't really call them that. I think when I was at high school, we just called them the sports boys. And <laughs> there was the sports boys, the popular girls, and then everybody else. Well, I mean... You know? So I- it's it's much less of that kind of like broken down into well you fit neatly into this box kind of thing i i mean like kind of along that line like before the term hipster was invented we like we used to call the kids who you would call hipsters now the coffee shop kids because 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 they would always just be kind of either hanging out the coffee shop doing weird shit you know yeah looking uh, but yeah i digress it yeah it's it, it, it. it is very american high school's like I, in my experience, have I've always been very socially stratified, and yeah, there, you do kind of get pushed into the cliques, or what do you? How do, how do you? How would you say? Um, it? Yeah, it's cliques. Yeah. I think that's the right word for yeah. it. But yeah, it, it's it's it is very interesting because it's not until you go to university in the states where you kind of just like, because you're kind of forced to kind of like get out of your friends group, you kind of start breaking those cliques and stuff like that, and you. It, it, it's a bit it's a bit different see for me it sort of happened in my like last year of high school because for our last two years of high school in the uk you pick certain subject groups and if not many people pick that subject then you you'll, you can end up in a class of like 10 or 15 people whereas before you're always in classes of like 25 to 30 people and i i just i just remember i, I took um i think it was my geography class like very few of my friends took geography and i ended up like becoming better friends with a lot of other people who i you know made the mistake of pigeonholing as like oh that's a sports person and that's a popular person so i'm not gonna be friends with them but when you get to a certain age i think especially as teenagers you realize oh we're all just people which is kind of nice and that's pretty much i think the over underlying moral of this it's literally what this film is um but it's i love it's it's very much got that dual sort of narrative where it's like teenagers who are watching it are being told like your your peers and fellow teenagers are all fully realized people with their own problems and everyone is the main character in their own story and that's like a really important thing for kids that age to be aware of but it's also the narrative directed at adults watching the film that's like teenagers have feelings and are actual real people yeah yeah which I, is a pretty huge thing especially for 1985 yeah it, it is it, like this type of film and like well, most of john hughes films are, are really really like important and, and they're like for like their legacy of yeah bringing bringing this kind of part of people's lives the yeah. younger lives to the forefront and kind of like humanizing it a bit more yeah centralizing the teenager as yeah. like a these aren't just like a faceless mass of young people that you're never going to be able to understand this is a group of people with their own unique problems and um it becoming like teenagers are huge consumers of popular culture and they're also like absorb massively absorbing their environment at all times and being affected by it while you know going through all of these things that teenagers have to go through at that age 
and it's just it's movies of this era are the first ones that really center teenagers and be like you are seen and your problems are valid like which i think is a really good message i mean i'm not gonna praise john hughes too hard because these films are important there is a reason why they are such cultural touchstones yeah but there's so many like it's so problematic but before we get into that i want to talk a bit more about the kind of like the type of film that this is because yeah. I can't really think of any others that are like so it's it's you know set m- mainly so, so in one room and it's literally just it's very the, self-contained yeah it's very self-contained and it's literally just these it's random comments and conversations that just lead to kind of very minor events like nothing earth-shattering happens and it's not like oh we have to get to a narrative point or the school is going to burn down if we don't save it or anything like that it's not super high stakes is i think yeah, what you're getting at. it's, it's just like slice of life and yeah very much so what do you kind of think about that kind of film i'm not gonna lie i tend to find it quite um quite dull i mean i, I can see why it's why some people could like it but i find it to be i don't know just a bit a bit tedious and just kind of a bit um it, like i get that it, it shows the emotional depth but i just uh, of the characters but i just really don't feel i feel like there's a lot of other ways that this could this could really be like this, it could be a completely different setting i feel like you could ha- like the 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 portrayal of these characters was really good but i don't know there's just i i think i feel like the plot just needed a lot more to really be kind of something that really, I guess, captured me. But I mean, again, yeah, I'm just I mean, one that's person. Fair enough. Like having a, even if it is just like a a teen kind of rom com type deal, usually there is like a start point and a definitive end point. Like we are working through this semester until we can all go to the prom. Yeah. Whereas this is like, yeah, okay, there is a start and end. As in, we're gonna start the day in detention, and this is gonna end when detention ends. But it's like. In the in the middle, there are no like necessary steps that this film needs to hit in order to reach that final point, and that like like you said, that does re- like uh, reduce stakes in a kind of narrative sense. Yeah. So I think that's what you're kind of getting at, is like you know, like I'm saying, it's, it's the plot has very few stakes, and it's like um, a slice of life rather than like a building to a set narrative or making like it's not like a hero's journey you know? yeah like I, I think this film would be better at, like it would be better as a short film than a whole feature length film like yeah and, there's and, probably some stuff that could be cut yeah like there's a lot that could have been cut <laughs> but but yeah, yeah we'll probably pick out some individual bits in a bit yeah, yeah? um but no I, I get what you mean but i think if, if this film had been anything other than what it was which is like pretty much an excuse to get into the like minutia of what teenagers care about and are going through on a, like a day-to-day basis because as a as an adult sitting there watching the film you're like well why does that matter but then as a teenager you could be watching going oh my god it really matters and i'm gonna go like that is kind of my emotional journey with well, this well, film yeah. when i was a teenager i was just like finally someone who gets that all these like little things that we care about you know a film that kind of portrays that on screen in a way that makes it seem significant yeah, that, that's that's fair. I I guess it's yeah. I mean, I just I, I think it boils down that I'm just not the really the target demographic for this at this point in my life. But I guess like I yeah, as a as a younger as a younger kid, a, a younger young adult, I could definitely 
identify with it on multiple levels, but at the same time, I I don't know. I, I guess like there's other f- films that I feel like do this a bit better, you know. Okay. Um. I mean, uh, another one of John Hughes' films, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I mean, yeah, it's a bit more grandiose and a bit more, you know. A, a a bit more out out there, but I still think that 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 does a pretty good job of kind of like getting some aspects of teenage teenage life and kind of yeah get into the forefront. And I mean, also even Sixteen Candles to a degree, I th- I think does yeah, d- d- again, d- d- does a better is, does a better job. The stakes you know? in Sixteen Candles is still like for an adult aren't that high. It's you know a girl whose like family have forgotten her sixteenth birthday and she's yeah. just kind of navigating that. Um, but but th- but there's more overall there plot. There is more plot. There is definitely like, because I think, you know, as many high school movies have, there is a prom at the end. Yeah. You know, they're working towards this thing that you know is going to be the climactic event of the movie, whereas this film kind of doesn't have that climactic event. Yeah. Um, because it doesn't, you know, it's set in the over the course of a single day, so there's not the time to build towards it. it, it it's a very, exp- like, kind of almost experimental... I, I, I guess what this boils down to me is I think it... This type of storytelling me- method of storytelling, I think, plays far better as a play than it does a film. Like I, I can think of like so many other plays that really kind of like match the kind of the slice of life aspect. Like Waiting for Godot, kind of really reminds me reminds me of this film in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, not Waiting for Godot is substantially more existential, but you know, <laughs> but the, the point being is, uh, is like you've you've still got that slice of life, and but yeah, it's it's funny you should say that though, because my next kind of like point I wanted to talk about was I love the one room kind of like everything happens in one room kind of stories. I think it's a really really clever storytelling device, and it is something that's much more common in plays than in films. But some a film that I would weirdly compare this to in that aspect is um, the Hateful Eight, Tarantino's yeah, yeah. Hateful Eight, and it does the the same very effective. Like there are very few ex- there are some external factors that can influence this, and those external factors have quite high stakes. So in the Hateful Eight, that's the storm, and like any potential for like newcomers coming in, and in the breakfast club it's the um the mean teacher who's principal. like the he, was he the principal yeah principal vernon oh wow principal had to give up his day his saturday to watch detention yeah um but yeah so there's like him kind of like outside like prowling around like a kind of unknown factor because you can't see what he's doing um and then the focus is on the interactions between the people in the room and that's the only thing that you've got to build plot and I mean, the hate flight does this much more masterfully because it's a higher stakes, like film. But yeah. it's just, I just think it's, I just, I love that whole concept of there are going to be a couple of scenes shot outside this room, but they are very few and far between, and they will serve to like add to the narrative in kind of ways that feel like it's going to change a lot, but really, it's only changing things in this very small room. There's nothing bigger than this going on yeah yeah it's it's it is kind of to that to the point like it it works as a storytelling dynamic but again it's it could be done more masterfully yeah and um 
going back to it a little bit, I do wonder if it's because as kids of the kind of 90s who were like consuming media, especially as teenagers in the kind of like mid 2000s, we're like, I, I guess we were kind of more spoilt for choice in terms of films that centre teenagers. Yeah, like yeah. we've already covered Accepted. I mean, yeah, that's about college students who are ten, a bit older, but that's still Ten a Things film. I Hate About You. Ten Things I Hate About You. We had Mean Girls, you know, American Pie had come out at this point. The list goes on and on and on. Whereas at this time when this comes out, you've got pretty much like Greece when everyone is played by a like 30 year olds and you've got um, 16 candles, 16 candles came out slightly before this. Um, but until John Hughes comes along in a more general sense, you've pretty much got like animal house and that's also a college film. Also a college film, but it's, it, you know, it's also all about boys and just one dimensional perverted boys. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. There's very little going on for like deep characters that are teenagers. So, you know, at this point you've got very little choice. Whereas, us now we've grown up with quite a lot of choice of these films that center teenagers because you know capitalists in hollywood realize that teenagers are the people that are like going to the movies yeah and are gonna go and watch these and spend money on them so they're like oh that's actually a marketable demographic let's make more teenager films so is it do you think it could be because like we've got this plethora of good films that center teenagers as their main characters and like the the people who have the main issues yeah so this one is kind of like more boring by comparison because these later ones have managed to give teenagers more stakes i i think it i think that might be the case and i do think that maybe i i guess you can also see like in a lot of john hughes even later films he does he pushes the bounds a bit more i i I guess i don't know it's in a good way or a bad way in a good way i'd say because like he he experiments with more storytelling devices he's Mm. he he experiments with like again bigger sta- stakes and 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 the plot you know it's it's it, like there's there's many many aspects that could like um i don't know that really kind of make his later films a lot more fleshed out i guess i guess what i've been trying to say is it does kind of feel like this film from a storytelling was like he does a good job of telling the this very very small slice of life story but overall it's not as polished like it, it's it's not i guess it's it's not cinematic i guess is what i'm I, the, bi- the biggest issue i've got with it and i would agree with that and I, I do think that yeah again i don't think this is the best medium for the story i guess is yeah i mean maybe it would be better if yeah. it was on stage i don't know there's probably been stage adaptations i've not heard of any but who knows? Um, it yeah. might be something interesting to think about. But should we s- shift to a few of our gripes with the? I mean, I've I've been complaining for a little bit now, but like, yeah. Well, yeah. my my main gripe is with the character of John Bender, because even though he's like he's Judd Nelson, Judd Nelson is really cool, and like he's meant to be the cool one. He's the one that kind of like is like using kind of aggression uh, and things like that to make everyone else understand that you know his life is difficult um and he reacts with hostility rather than kind of he doesn't like open his arms quite as quickly as the rest of them um because of things that he's been through but yeah the fact that he gets the girl at the end is inexcusable like 
he has bullied her and belittled her and sexually assaulted her in a way that is just like i i i'm so the bit where he's under the table and puts his face into claire's underwear um claire did have like so it wasn't actually molly ringwald she had an adult body double but that whole scene why you would want to root for a character that thinks that's okay i don't understand why a male director would want to do that to like somebody who he worked with in um at least three films he wrote 16 candles and pretty in pink specifically with her in mind as the star yeah um like why why uh, it troubles me that a young like there's a there's a man like that who wants this this young girl in all of his films who wants to see her put in that position and then wants the guy who did it to like not face any consequences like she slaps him a bit but none of the other characters Speak call up. him out or say it was like a really horrible thing to do and she is like oh but you're just such a bad boy that i'm gonna end up with you anyway by the end of the film it just ugh Ugh, it just it, sucks. Yeah, it, it, and that is my main gripe with this film. I mean, like, uh, I, 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 I agree wholeheartedly. Like, it, it that's I, th- it, it doesn't really make much sense. Just like what, like why you, you feel the need. Like they could have flexed his bad boy persona in so many other ways, and they did, and, and they did. But that it, this just felt like needless needlessly perverse and and it also just kind of feels like you know for god's sakes like they didn't actually need that there there was no reason to actually have that romantic entanglement at the end like it it didn't like it it wasn't necessary no i and i think i mean to an extent i think it might be more interesting to have them come out of this with like um emilio estevez's character andrew i want to say and um anthony michael hall's character no no no, no. uh Ali Sheedy's character what's her n- i can't remember uh, allison allison there you go um with like those two very out of the blue and kind of left field like have kind of fallen in love with each other um they've all got this like massive respect for um brian and like where they they just kind of looked down on him before and i think it would have added an interesting dynamic if in the wake of all of this like love and understanding claire and john bender come out of it absolutely hating each other but not just because they hate the idea of each other which was the case at the beginning of the day but because they've realized that they like they really just don't fucking like each other but to have him be allowed to abuse her for the whole film and still like have the romantic ending is just it's fucked and i hate it yeah yeah <laughs> I, I i i agree like it's john bender like the character is interesting because it's like you know it, it's whacking you over the head with the idea that some teenagers act out because they've had troubles or you know there's something bad going on at home you know and that's an important thing for people to like realize and reckon with but in that case just don't set him up with if, if he's going to be a complete asshole specifically bullying one girl don't let him let her be like oh his his bullying ways have really talked me round yeah Ugh. yeah i do like the scene with the with the weed though when they have to go get the weed from his locker and it's like becomes the most intense thing in the world even though the stakes are barely high and then he's just like 
yeah, it's in. Uh, it's going to be impossible for my dope to be on fire. It's in Johnson's underwear, <laughs> and it actually is. It's like such good line delivery, and it's just it's a very very funny joke, and I enjoy that. Yeah, th- I mean, there are some good like really good jokes in this film, but like I guess they're kind of just undercut by these this like underlying angst that is kind of you know like i get that you know you get it in your teenage film you know like uh as part of teenage life but like some of it just seems like needlessly hyped like even like i think even when i was younger and a teenager i was not like that much like like that i don't know it just i i i have trouble identifying with it i guess uh see i don't have trouble identifying with it as such because like you know john bender's got a bad home life and and so is ali sheedy but those things are very very different allison sorry i keep going oh character name for you and actress name for you and then like you know on another extent like the character of brian also has a bad home life but it's like very different and claire can't relate to that but then she can relate to like oh this is these things are easy for me but they're hard for you and i do think it like that level of angst because it's balanced with like this film is a series of highs and lows right yeah and because they're like balanced that way i do think that the angst is sort of necessary because no one's being angsty without cause you know no no no. this isn't like order of the phoenix harry potter being angsty to his friends for no reason yeah and i I guess it wasn't that aspect of the angst it was just kind of like the like some of the uh, I, I I actually really don't know where I was going with that, mm-hmm. but uh, that's fine. That's fine. Um, I will say from a cinema, like a, again, a cinematography perspective, this film did not do really anything that's not been done. It's. I mean, that's interesting you say that because I do love a lot of the aspects of the staging. Like I've already talked about the yeah. single room, but I love the use of the space. Yeah. They spend most of the time in the middle at the desks, but they go into the wings. They go into other rooms. They go up on the railings they go up on the balconies they walk along the shelves when they're doing the, like dancing thing at the end and yeah, um, there's it, a lot and i really love the the dance montage when they're all getting really high it's so iconic and yeah. it is very very good like the, the blocking is great like it, they made good use of space but overall it's just like um again it just kind of focuses mainly on like effectively uh, anything like from the waist up is kind of like if you get a shot with the waist up it's, it's kind of a uh, cowboy shot you know and like a lot of it was either doing cowboy shots or you know cl- like medium shots where you're just getting the shoulders in the face you know it, i guess it's just like they they didn't really experiment with t- like there's maybe a few low angle shots which i th- which i think that using the like the like the low angle and high angle shots to kind of express the power or like the like the power dynamic between the principal and you know and the kids would have been a way better way but yeah if they did it it was if they did any kind of like angling it was really really minimal at all you know it just like i guess it would i feel like it would help the viewer a lot more in, in that that sense but yeah I mean, you pointed out earlier, you know, the plot isn't particularly cinematic. I guess if you don't have very m- cinematic, like, material to work with, then making very dramatically cinema- cinematographical shots uh, yeah, no, no, isn't I, really, yeah. doesn't really gel together too well. But even at the same time, like, like other kind of less, like, like even more, like, other films that are kind of in that same, like, cinematic, more realist, realist vein they'll still use a bit of like angling to it to imply di- you know, like power dynamic or to just kind of like 
give a almost a more realistic kind of like a, a, a sense of more realism you know like even if you're you know because they're they're sitting at the desk you know yeah and it, like at least you, you know facing a bit more you know a bit more up that that does you know really really it, that can really help just the viewer get the, uh, the the point even more you know yeah i it, understand that yeah but yeah that yeah. that that's you know small gripes i mean overall i think that the cast in this film did did a really really good job with yeah with the material that they're given and i do think that you know i mean vernon principal vernon is you know a bit of a dick but you know, like well, but, yeah. but 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 like the actor who plays him it does a really good job yeah <laughs> well again um going back to a point i made earlier this is one of the first films, like John Hughes's films, or some of the first films that were actually like using young people to play young people, rather than like people who are in their thirties playing teenagers. When it's really obvious on screen that that's what's happening. Um, so uh, yeah, I think a young, mostly unknown kind of cast they they did fantastically, and there's real like emotion there and. Yeah, I just I think it's incredibly sweet. I really like it. Yeah. Like for the most part. Again, there are the the problems that there are with this film make it like unforgivable. Like if I was to show this to like my hypothetical daughter, you would have to do it like in their teens with a lot of like context and be like I, this film is great, but you really need to understand what is and isn't okay in this film. Yeah, yeah. Because I, it's uh, it's not a great message to send to girls who should like who are basically being told this is what you should accept from a boy, and boys who are told this is how you should treat a girl. Yeah, a lot of toxic masculinity being given the past in this film. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, I will yeah. say, like on that note, I mean, John Bender's toxic masculinity is given a pass. Um, and we get some from the kind of the principal and stuff like that, but he is framed as the villain, but it does challenge toxic masculinity in the way that a lot of films of that era don't do through Emilio yeah. Estevez's character, Andrew, like his whole storyline is basically a challenge to toxic masculinity, yeah. which isn't, it, it should have like, it's, it should call itself what it is as like, and really embrace the fact that it is providing that challenge. But I mean, in the eighties, I don't even know if they had the phrase "toxic masculinity." So <laughs> probably not. But yeah, yeah. Overall, like, I think, I think this film does. It, it is very, very quintessential, and it, it's it's when you think of an eighties film, I think of this. Uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Oh, classic. And uh, what else? Again, misogynistic, but classic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, we could bring that uh, much later down the line. Uh, yeah, much later down the line we are. But yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I th I think of those two films when I think eighties, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. Oh, I mean, overall, what was your favorite um, favorite scene in this film? My favorite scene is definitely um, like the the kind of dance scene because it comes off the back of they've just had that very emotional like conversation where they're saying like oh we'll probably never speak again and these are like my problems and they're kind of helping each other come to terms with their problems and then like calling each other's bullshit out and things like that. And then, like, a few other, like, events transpire. And then they have this very cathartic dance montage. We're just going to, like, fuck around and get high kind of montage. And while I'm not uh, a fan of the drugs, I just, I love, there's a lot of joy in that. Yeah. In that montage. And I, I just adore it. 
And my second favorite moment is when he's sneaking from his isolation room back into the detention room, and he's like muttering to himself as he like kind of like concentrates on like walk, like crawling through the air vent, and then he just falls yeah. through it, and it's just like not even addressed. Yeah, like the fact that they've destroyed part of the school, and like someone's gonna notice that on Monday, and wonder probably, what the probably fuck the happened. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I th- I think my favorite bit of this film was probably um, <laughs> like the initial like first like first like ten minutes of them kind of like just kind of like the the ice br- effectively the ice breaking scene tossing barbs at each other yeah, yeah th- I don't know that <laughs> I just found like there was a lot of really good like one liners in there that were just quite like I felt like that had the like you got a lot of depth and of of, um, uh, of range from all of them in terms of like performance and stuff like yeah. that plus i just really really love like ali sheedy's like um like when she <laughs> when she just doesn't want to deal like when she just kind of clams up just face right into desk <laughs> yeah face right to desk hood pops down she just like makes that little squeak noise <laughs> yeah just just very i don't know just a lot of really really good like little little quintessential bits uh, that, that become like massively big in pop culture and yeah. I, don't know, I quite like that okay well given that how would you rate this film if they'd cut all of the like like really objectifying and bullying of um molly ringwald's character i would give this film like probably like an eight i really love this film but it just those those parts just make me feel so uncomfortable that i think i just like i can't in good conscience give it more than a five yeah i'm not gonna lie i would probably give it a five as well yeah uh, just because it's like it i i understand i like that it's a you know quintessential piece of of modern cinema but i do think it's overhyped and overblown for what it is and Mm. yeah i mean it's got that like stage of like it had like a cult following and then it's like oh everyone is part of that cult following now and it's like is it does it is it really deserving of that and does that following overlook all these problems with it i i think it just for yeah i think it's also just it's so cliche at this point and there's like i don't know it, it's just kind of when you look at it for more than a, a few like if you look at it more outside of the lens of nostalgia, it, it does just kind of like start to kind of like lose its shine a lot. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think it's mostly because of those problematic scenes. Like, there are honestly only a handful of moments that would need to be cut out for this film to not be all that problematic and to actually be a genuinely like wonderful thing. Yeah, no. But it's all of these things where like John Bender is like pretending to be nice to Claire just so he can tear her down again and and calling her names and like just like objectifying her body all the time and and then actually sexually assaulting her if all of that was taken out this film would be incredibly more bearable yeah it's substantially better but yeah yeah okay so what are we covering next week Laura? uh we're covering the bucket list I've Another never, I've never seen that film. How have you never seen the bucket yeah. list? That's a Rob Reiner one, isn't it? The bucket list, the bucket list. It is. Ooh, it's I d- incredible. I d- I've I d- only seen it once or twice, but d- we'll get into that next week. Well, d- in two weeks' time. I do love Rob Reiner films, so <laughs> that should be good. I don't know what else he's directed. The Princess Bride. 
Oh yeah, that's one of my favorite yeah. films. I don't know directors. Anyway. Fair enough. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Tito Deal by Craig MacArthur. The photo used for our cover is by Rodolfo Clicks. Audio editings by Ryan DeRoges, and this podcast was produced by Laura and Ryan DeRoges. Find us on Twitter at All's Fair Podcast, on Instagram at All's Fair and Love and Film, or email us at All's Fair and Love and Film at gmail.com.